Hello and welcome to the Into the Desert podcast, where we talk to inspiring people and hear their stories of motivation, courage, drive, productivity, and how their environment dictates their performance. Today's guest has 25 years experience in building brands and communities by creating content that attracts valuable audiences. He and his team at Creative Content Agency draw on experience producing content with celebrated entrepreneurs such as Gary Vee, Tony Robbins, and Stephen Bartlett, as well as dignitaries and multinational companies. And their content has been seen by millions of people. Raj Kutecha, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm really good. Thanks for having me. Fantastic to have you. You are known as the content king. And my first question is, how did it all start? Uh, the first kind of starting point when it comes to content would probably be working in my dad's shop mm. in the 80s and thinking to myself, I would like to make some posters. I would like to make some flyers. I would like to drop some flyers off to local people. This is pre smartphones pre-internet really so uh just the idea of can i communicate things to to customers or potential audiences better that would be the inception point but i think where it got really interesting is that i had to start making my own marketing materials around uh, 20 years old so at that point i'd been a ticket seller at university for a couple of years and i decided that i was going to start doing my own parties and so at that point i became responsible for you know, coming up with names of parties, figuring out what's put on flyers. So my first real foray into like authoring my own content was like on flyers in university. Amazing. So your first sort of entrepreneurial journey was at university or before? At university, yeah. I mean, I'm a Gujarati kid, Indian kid. So like entrepreneurship is part of mm. our DNA. So I grew up in a, a two bedroom place, seven people in the house. A bunch of us slept in the living room. There was probably 40% of our total square footage of our property was an active shop and storeroom. So my front door was the front door of the shop. Mm. There was no leaving your house through the front door. I'd have to walk through a storeroom, walk from behind the counter, past all of the goods, and then out of the shop door. So that's my first foray into entrepreneurship is because I was kind of part of my grandfather and my father's entrepreneurship ecosystem, which means that you come home and you're stocking shelves, you're mopping floors, you're sweeping up, you're serving lots of customers. Every 20, 30 seconds, somebody comes in, you know, what cigarette brand this guy likes, what this person's looking for milk, what sweets this person likes. And you, that was my first foray into entrepreneurship under the cloud cover of my grandfather and my dad's kind of business. Yeah. And then uh, my, my personal foray into it, I would say, would probably be around that kind of 18 years old kind of time. So you're, you know, I started selling tickets. And uh, in Manchester, the way that it worked in the 90s is that you typically had like affiliations and allegiances to certain people that did parties. And then they'd have affiliations and allegiances to certain more more colorful characters, like from, the, from you know, like the people that run the doors and mm. things like that. So I kind of was lucky because I lived in a building with over a thousand kids. So all of the promoters were keen to give me their tickets. Sure. So I was able to sell tickets for the Bangra parties. I was able to sell tickets for the house music events, able to sell tickets for the R&B and hip hop events. And then around 20 years old, when I knew that I would be, it would be safe for me to do it, then I actually started doing my own parties as well. Oh, amazing. So at what point did you realize that by differentiating your content, that was your, that was the way to get more people in, you know, right? That's, that's the idea of, of content in general is to get your, your voice out there as much as possible. And when you're in sort of an environment such as university, where there's parties going on everywhere, you have to make it slightly different. So did you know from an early uh, age that you had to, had to make that differentiation? No. Really, no? No, I didn't know. I mean, l l when I was at university, 
the idea, there was a formula, right? Mm. And again, there wasn't like a lot of knowledge available. Like everything you learn, you learn from other promoters or you learn from other people that participate in that environment. So when I did my parties, although my parties were legendary, they, you know, we launched uh, DJ Luck and MC Neat, Little Bit of Luck. It's an old garage tune. Monster Boy featuring Denzi, I'm sorry. So our point of differentiation was which artists could we get to come and perform at our events? I would say the first time that we kind of like broke the rules a little bit in terms of what was normal is after doing those events and those events being successful, if I'm not mistaken on the timelines, there's a bit of a blur around that time, but I think I, I took, I did my degree, passed that, no worries. And then I think when I was in my first year of work post-graduation, my girlfriend at the time was still at university and I still hadn't quite let go of that university energy because I was very popular there. So like you don't, you know, you're 21, 22, you kind of go where you're treated best, sure. you know what I mean? And um, and to continue doing parties, I couldn't actively promote the kind of parties that you do on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, where all the popular student nights are. The first point of differentiation was a party that I came up with called Soul on Sundays, where nobody in Manchester, period, never mind for the student population, was doing nights on a Sunday. So I managed to get a small bar. It was three pounds to get in. Nice. And Soul on Sundays, or as it was known as SOS, was a collective of a couple of DJs that I picked, uh, an R&B singer, an MC. And that was the first night that we did that really kind of broke the mold of parties in Manchester, yeah. So you're, you're not only, you know, before you started the content side of things, really your passion was music, right? Or, or taking an idea of sort of a party that you enjoyed and making it better, put your own stamp on it. Yeah, so we, we, I'll keep it real. Like the reason why I did parties was the reason why most young people would do parties, which is that they want money. They want to be kind of like the center point, you know, that you've got to be built a certain kind of way whereby you're comfortable with being the guy. Mm. And obviously like girls and all that other stuff as well. That's the reason why I originally did it. Um, and then in terms of like breaking out and doing something a little bit different, I think there's also an element of curiosity as well, curiosity and convenience, because after that year of working in industry, I then went back to do my master's and I still kept soul on Sundays at that time. So now I'm back in the university scene running up and down like Oxford Street, which is Oxford mm. Road, which is the main kind of like university street in Manchester. And now I've got a party. I've got my master's that I'm doing. I had a part time job. So, you know, it's like it was, a, it was a good busy time at that time. But nothing really to do with content. What was your degree in? First degree was in business and IT with management. Yeah. Then I did a year in industry where I was working for a business that's now known as the Fragrance Shop. Mm -hmm. So they've got 220 stores in the UK. Yeah. And then I went back to do my master's and my master's was in technology management with a focus on acquisition and strategy. But in terms of my collision course with content, obviously like you've got the flyers and stuff like that. But I think one thing that helped me stand out at university is that I was taking stuff that I was learning in the day about how to do marketing and things of that nature. And most people use it and they put it into their essays and their assignments. I was putting it literally into my flyers. So when everybody else's flyers said, you know, uh, lager and blackcurrant, one pound, ladies free before 11, uh, fun masks for people that come in before eight, all that kind of stuff. I realized at that time that I was like, yo, this is too busy. Mm. It's too much for like a bunch of drunk guys and girls coming out of a student union to read an essay about why your part is good. So we simplified it. Even taking Soul on Sundays from Soul on Sundays to SOS became much easier to glance at when you see a poster on the street. You're not reading the word Soul on Sundays. And of course, if we get into the weeds of it, you kind of also sometimes want to write Soul on Sundays because the night of the event is coded into the name. And it's so funny because 
This is a really good interview, by the way, because <laughs> when you look at all of my brands, Soul on Sundays, it is what it says on the tin. It's Soul Music on a Sunday. Mm. Creative Content Agency is a creative content agency. My Friends, Your Friends is literally me choosing 15 of my friends, them choosing their friends, and us inviting the whole community. Mm. There must be other brands like that. Vayner World with Gary Vee sure. yeah, yeah. was taking a Gary Vee interview, but adding his music to it. Cartoons made of him, like a cartoon, memori- not memorial, but like a mural in the background of the stage. Hmm. So You're actually right, you know. That's, yeah. actually, that's actually the so way from, I've been from doing From a young it. age, what's actually happened is you've done something that sounds easy, but it is not easy. You've taken something that, you know, like you say, should should be obvious mm. to put the day into the advertising. People don't do that. Mm. You've done that from a young age, so that's sort of sort of a, a unique element you already had to your to your business journey that mm. you could see that straight away. People still can't see that when they have businesses, right? Mm. So that's super interesting. So then, how did that then take you towards starting your own agency? Was that the next step, or what was the next step after masters and, and the party sort of scene? So the best way to understand my journey to where I am right now is to, and my progress is that I've always ran at least two tracks like two lives at the same time so when i was at university i was obviously promoting parties but i was also like obviously studying Mm. so you've got your raj the student which is just like any other student effectively and then you've got raj the promoter who's hustling and doing other bits and pieces like that then once i left university i went to canada and the good thing about canada is that at that time there was a time and you won't believe this but there was a time in the early 2000s where Canada and North America significantly tracked behind Europe when it comes to mobile technology. Okay. So right now, an iPhone comes out and we hear about it in San Francisco, and then Apple announces it, and then it trickles all the way across the world. Same with like Samsung. But there used to be a case where there used to be a time where you could get a phone in Europe that wouldn't come out for nine months in America. Really? There's a time of Nokia, Sony, Ericsson, and things like that. Yeah, in sure. the early 2000s and 90s. Sure. Yeah. So. When I did my first degree, I wrote my thesis, and it was called M-Commerce, a revolutionary opportunity to get into the hearts and into the minds and pockets of consumers. And at that time, I was writing about you know, what the future of phones will be uh, when 3G, 3G didn't even exist at that point, imagine. Mm. So what 3G will do in terms of banking content, ringtones, and things of that nature. So I went to Canada, and I was selling phones. And I won a competition for most phone sales with the guy that I was traveling with. And as part of our incentive, instead of saying, you know, get an iPod Nano or whatever was the hot thing at the time, we asked for 15 minutes with the CEO. I think we probably got five. We had a chance to sit in front of him. We explained what our background was, where we were coming from, what we wanted to do. My friend, who was a killer at sales, was made country manager for sales over that year that we stayed with him. And I was asked to build a ringtones portal, which at the time was the first independent ringtones portal uh, in Canada. So everything else was being licensed through the big record labels and through the big technology companies. But I was able to go to Miami, New Orleans, Atlanta, and a few other places and do my own licensing deals to bring that content into into, uh, Canada. And also working with Canadians as well, like people like Russell Peters, the comedian, Cardinal Official, having conversations with these people to be like, listen, could we get your ringtones on our portal. Uh, in some cases it happened, in some cases it didn't. But that's where the collision really happened. So imagine at that time, I'm still very much into the music. I'm mm-hmm. kind of like ex-promoter. Then I started doing parties in Canada. Fast forward, come back to the UK after my Canadian visa ends. 
I go work for a company called Mint Content. Mint Content was putting out content on pre-smartphones. Again, Nokia, Sony, Ericsson. The challenge they had and the challenge that the industry had at the time is that the way you put a video on a Sony Ericsson is different technically to the way you put it on a Nokia, the way it's downloaded, the codecs for the video and all that kind of stuff. So I'm doing that whilst at the same time bringing my relationships from Canada to London. So my cousin Vic and I did a party for Russell Peters. At the time, Russell was doing 1,200 seats. Now he does over 50,000. So we agreed to do a couple of after parties. Simultaneously, I'm DJing and doing parties in London whilst working in this kind of like tech environment. From there, I went to a publishing company in Los Angeles. I was employee number six. A year later, they sold to The Guardian. Oh, wow. I had share options in that, whilst at the same time doing gigs for like the Mobile Awards. Sure. So if you, and, and, and it just kind of continues down that track, right? Like you move forward a few more years, we meet Gary Vee, but I was also doing a mixtape with the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah, exactly. You know, parallel, parallel lines, like you say. All at the same time. And, and the Gary Vee point mm. is an interesting one because I, I'm not quite sure because the timelines are a bit of a blur, but the year that I, within like a year or so of doing the Wu-Tang Clan mixtape, we did our first ever podcast in like 08, 09 mm. with Gary Vee when he launched Crush It. And the first ever creative content agency podcast, which I'm so glad I called it that, or I'm so glad I said that at the beginning of sure. the interview, because now when people choose who should I do my podcast with, we're like, well, here's our first one. And it was like, I don't know, 14 years ago. Yeah. And there's not because a lot him. of other people in that space that can say that the first podcast we did for our business was 14 years ago and is with who's gone on to become the absolute icon of content entrepreneurship. Yeah. yeah. I forgot the question, but that's, no, that's, amazing. that's what it is. That's amazing. So because yeah, you, you hit me with such a good question, the previous one, I think I'm just like quite happy. So, <laughs> so my brain is just going all over the place. Well, that's really cool there. So how would you say that, you know, throughout that story you just told me there, or your life really, you have met a lot of people you've had opportunities through your work but you've met a lot of people mm. how beneficial has it been to speak to those people build those relationships but also keep them involved so you then have this network global network of people you can call upon or you know um you can reference to how important is that in your your current life your current businesses i think i don't have 95 percent of the challenges that most people have because of my relationships mm. to the extent whereby i think in my personal life and in certain relationships, it's probably even been a point of annoyance because like, you know, somebody will say, I've got this problem. I'll be like, no problem. I'll, I, know, I know who to text. Yeah. I know who to call. Give me two minutes. I'll take care of it. You know what I mean? So it kind of acts as a, a force accelerant. That's what the benefit of the relationships is. Plus, I'm a people person. So my capacity to spend time with people, talk to people, try to be of value to people and then take value from people, that's extremely high, almost infinite. So my fuel is that relationship, that love, that engagement, that conversation, knowing people, being known by people. That really is something that I enjoy. And that might sound weird to some people, like depending on where you are in the spectrum in terms of like introvert, extrovert, et cetera. Mm. But the reality is it's what I want and it works for me. And I think it does a lot for the people around me as well. I mean, my friends, your friends wouldn't be, you know, four, four and a half thousand people as a community here in Dubai of people that like to connect with other people, if that didn't stem from my individual philosophy of wanting to connect with people and connect them to each other and create value. Yeah, exactly. And you can feel the enthusiasm that you have when you go to one of those events. You know, you, you, you can feel it in the room. People are all there because they want to learn. It's not like a usual, a normal networking event where people, everyone wants something. They're there because they want to learn from others. They want to give to others. And that's, I think, really the power. It's like it has a, a powerful core, right? It's not just looking for other things, it's, it's 
infinitely more powerful because there's there's a different reason everyone's there. You came to the last one, right? Came to the last one, downtown. What did, what did you walk away with? Do you know what? I met a lot of people and I had a lot of numbers where all they wanted to do was help me, which is, I think, so different to a normal networking event. Usually you have a load of business cards and they want you to ring them and hopefully buy something. Mm. This was different. They were like, well, cool, let's get a coffee and let's talk about how we can actually help you or talk together about how we can work together, but not really trying to sell me something more as in like a partnership or a, a JV or, you know, it felt more powerful. It felt more meaningful and, and actually more friendly, which, mm. is, which is really cool. It's, it's interesting you say that because I can't take full credit for that because I think a, l- a little bit of that as well is to do with serendipity and a little bit of it is to do with the way that Dubai is. Mm. So you've been here for quite some time now, like, you know, six months plus or whatever. And you've probably noticed that there's a lot of people here with an abundance mindset. They're extremely happy to connect to you, with you, share stuff with you, share contacts. You know, we're here now in in F10 Studios. This is one of the companies that are one of our suppliers that Mm. we always send each other opportunities back and forth. So I think you probably hit, you know, it is very common that that happens at my friends, your friends. I'm really happy about that. I think a lot of that's got to do with the the DNA of Dubai. Mm. And then also the DNA of how I built the event. Because literally, if you came to my house and we were hanging out and there was 10, 15 of my friends there, you'd notice that. You'd notice a microcosm of that my friends, your friends energy. And that's the source code of my friends, your friends, is that I generally like to surround myself with that core group of people that really wants to see everybody else do well. Mm. That's really powerful. And it's actually a really nice segue onto what I want to talk about next, which is how your environment dictates your performance. So you're talking about, there about the people that are around you um, and how they impact you. Which is obviously massive. You hear about that a lot in content about the five people you have closest to you will reflect in your personality or the five people closest to you, you'll be a, an average of their salaries. You'll earn the same. How does your environment dictate your performance? Obviously, you've traveled the world a lot. You must have, you know, you have your own podcast, your own um, different things you do in terms of business. But how do you feel that your environment and your surroundings impact your performance? My environment is this. I wake up. I open my eyes, I work, I stop to use the bathroom, brush my teeth or whatever, and then I go back to bed. And that's especially been the case the last few weeks. Mm. Now, of course, there's random moments. I'll hang out with my nephew, I'll talk to my family, you know what I mean? But pretty much that's it. Or, or I'll see a client and I'll be in a room and I'll be trying to solve a problem for them. Mm. That's it. So it's just, it's just hard work all day. It definitely feels that way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's, the, you know... Summers, I like to probably collect all of my downtime mm. and I'll go do a month in Bali or you know something like that. But for the most part, it's, it's, just, it's just work. And you know, it, I see Vic, who most people know, like who runs, who's the COO of the business. I see his wife, his son, my sister, her husband. Otherwise, it's just, it's just I don't know. I mean, I can't think of anybody else who I, yeah. who I really even see like that. And one of my homies that I walk with every morning, we do a 5K walk, Sal, that's about it. That's it. Yeah. Do you feel like you, the environment that you work in, though, it has an impact on, on your, your day-to-day activities? So, for example, are you the kind of person that likes everything to be neat and tidy? Do you like there to be more noise and, and sound around? Yeah, noise, sound, stuff is typically not neat and tidy around sure. me. And it doesn't really matter where I am because whether I'm here, I mean, obviously, I'm present now because I'm, we're, we're talking, but whether I'm in a coffee shop or, you know, at home or wherever... More often, I'm in my own head. Mm. So it doesn't really matter what's going around. As long as nobody's getting, like, shot, like, 
as long as nothing crazy is happening, mm. I can pretty much just delve into my own thoughts because on any given day, I've got a hundred things to think about. And of those hundred things, 13 have active problems that need to be solved. I've got, you know, my friends, your friends, when am I doing the next one? Who are going to be the co-host? Next week, I've got a video shoot. Do we rent the equipment? Do we buy it? The, you know, just nonstop, always constantly thinking about things, which is hectic and is stress inducing. But yet at the same time, because I have a multi-core processor in my head that can run 10, solve 10 problems simultaneously, typically you only need to solve six because some of them solve each other. For sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I'm thinking to myself, okay, what does our uh, equipment base look like? Are we future-proof in terms of the equipment we need? Okay, no. What's the blind spot? The blind spot is these microphones. Okay, this client needs these microphones. Do we rent them or do we buy them and then sub-rent them mm -hmm. to the client and then bring down some of the cost, like recoup some of the cost, which makes that asset more valuable in our business for this project that's nine months out? For sure. And actually, it's kind of I mean, that's messed actually, up, yeah? Yeah, but I like that because, you know, I was going to touch on the idea that a lot of people need stuff to be done in a certain way, but it sounds like you, you don't. And the reason there is because you've got so many things going on and you've got a great team of people around you who can help. So I want no, I've got to, one guy around me. Sure. That, that, like, no, but a if, very we, good if we're going to keep it real, I know, yeah, yeah. There's, there's one person that actively works on the business. Sure. But you've got, I guess, a network who you could call upon. Not yeah, network, network is fire, yeah. So what sure. I want to talk about is how you, how you stay productive. Mm. What are your systems for staying productive? I mean, you've got, you know, obviously you've got everything going on in your head, like you said. You've got, um, you know, Vic, you can help you. But is there a system you have in place to keep you productive? You obviously do the 5K walk in the morning, which sort of must help reset. Um, and start your day, but is there a, a system or a, a way you like to work that keeps you productive? So it's, it's weird, this productivity thing, right? Mm. Because some people think about productivity and they use it interchangeably with like efficiency, sure. right? Yeah, For yeah. me, it's not about efficiency. In my day, there's a tremendous amount of wastage and just stuff gets leaked out. You know, yesterday morning I woke up, I saw, and I've got, you know, this week's promo week for me, right? Six mm. interviews in six days, radio, podcasts, you name it. And yesterday morning, I woke up and I saw this dude on Instagram. I guess either I got served an ad or whatever, and the content was terrible, like really terrible. Mm. It's like one of those things where like he sat on a chair like this, and someone goes, so tell me about your sure. how your brand does this, this, this. And he goes, oh, thanks for asking, Elisa. Well, we do this. And I messaged him. I was like, dude, your content's terrible. Like, yeah. here's some free videos. Watch them. And we, we back and forth for a little while. He really appreciated it. I know that those karma miles will probably end up paying off mm. at some point, but even if they don't, that's not my intent. So really, that's from an efficiency point of view. I'm not an efficient person when it comes to thinking about productivity that way. Mm. But then here's the question. As the owner of this business and as the kind of key person of influence, as, as Daniel Priestley talks about, what the question to ask first is, what is it my responsibility or obligation to produce? My responsibility and obligation to the business, to Vic, to our partners, to our everybody, is to produce creative content. Mm. Which, by the way, I happen to like doing regardless of whether I'm getting paid or not. Which is the reason why when I'm at home and I'm not doing client work, I'm still producing content. So my responsibility is to create content. Now what does that involve? That involves strategy, planning, deal flow, marketing, sales, everything. Consulting, everything. And that, how do I stay productive on that? Well. The way that you do that is you always have to be like three to four significant steps ahead of where the market is and where people's challenges are. And the way that I do that is I consume an 
insane amount of content. Mm. So when I say I wake up in the morning and I open my eyes and I start work, that's because I open my eyes. Everyone's like, oh, the first hour of the day, don't be on Instagram. Okay, fine, whatever. If that works for you, that's cool. I open my eyes, I check Instagram. Sometimes I'll check my email, not too often. That's something I need to get better at. I'll check all of my social media, Twitter, da 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 da. I'll start replying to people. I'll start biz deving within the first minute or two of waking up. Hey, what's going on? I'll start making, I'll start noting trends. If you speak to Vic and you ask him, the ridiculous amount of forwards that the team gets. So when I say the team, I've got like Alex, our producer, and other people like that, but the ridiculous amount of forwards that the team gets between like 6.45 in the morning and like 9.30 in the morning before me and Vic actually get together and sit down and do like grown-up work. Mm. So that's, that's how I stay productive. I think about what I've got to produce and I've got to know where the trends are. I've got to know where the market's going. And I do that by just consuming way more content than the average person. I think during the pandemic, I did the equivalent of 63 consecutive full-time working hour days Nice. Wow. Of just only listening to podcasts only on Spotify, YouTube on top of that. So in a year, I might listen to three to four months working days consecutive worth of content. You've got to get your finger on the pulse, right? So you're on that Monday morning when the iPhone pops up and says your screen time was up. I presume yours is always high. Insane. But but, but also think think about the judgment in that, right? A lot of people are like, man, you know, you've got to be careful how much content you consumed. Firstly, number one thing is, Unless, like, there's a significant injustice happening, you know, out of America, kids getting shot, black guys getting killed on the street, you know, all this horrific stuff that happens there on a far too often basis. Unless it's something like that, I have an ability to detoxify everything I consume and really look at it objectively for what it is. And what that means in terms of work is I'm able to break it down into what the format of that content is. And then I'm able to apply that kind of mm. straight away. So when you're looking at content, you know, I, I know Wait, you... So what was your prior question to that? I am still asked no that first question, dude, I have because no idea what the prior it was, was so brilliant. <laughs> I'm like, you might, you might have interview of the week. No, honestly, that was, you smashed it. Okay, so if we, I want to touch back on the content piece thing, because mm. it's so interesting. So, you know, I hear you talk about the four Ps quite a lot. Mm. Um, in fact, can you give us a little overrun of the four Ps of people that are listening to start with? Yeah, the, the four Ps of content are plan, produce, publish, and promote. And the reason why we have four Ps is they are essentially, that is the the design language of all good content. It's the code base of all successful content. So it doesn't matter whether you're looking at the hieroglyphics on the inside of a pyramid or whether you're looking at the metaverse. Somebody had to plan that content, even if they planned it in their head. Then they had to produce it. Then it has to be published. And only when it's published can you promote it and tell people that it exists. So... The reason why this came about is I was distilling all of my previous case studies at a time when I was just updating my website. I saw these trend lines. By coincidence, each one started with a P. So I was like, plan, produce, publish, promote. I then ran every case study through it again of every successful piece of content we've had from, you know, Gary Vee's Vayner World right through to a beautician in Jumeirah, a dentist in Jumeirah. And I'm like, yep, these are there. These are the first principles of content. So like if you go to a gym, it doesn't matter whether you're like trying to shed some baby weight, prepare for a marathon, you want to become like a weightlifter. They'll always say the same things initially, right? Get more sleep, drink more water, get off the booze, no carbs, right? These are the first principles. So the four Ps are the first principles of content. 
and we, whoever we sign up as a client, they have to learn the four piece first. It's mandatory and it's paid and it's not cheap, but <clears throat> it means that when we work with them, we're using a common language with them. That's awesome. So then once you've got that ready, how do you then look at a piece of content and say, you know, that is a good piece of content. That's told the story where I now know what the next step is. What I want to touch on really is that, you know, social media, there's so much content out there. It's such a noisy world. How do you cut through, you know, without giving your secrets away? I'll give them away. There you go. How because, you... because the whole game will change in three months. That's like, true, algorithm update. Imagine, right? if, imagine if I gave away all my secrets three years ago pre-TikTok. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Now yeah. we have to update everything, yeah. right? So I'll, I'll keep it all the way real. What do you want to know? So how do you cut through? What is, what is something that, a piece of content where you look at it in the morning when you're doing your, your biz dev and go, that's really good. That's hit all the points in my, you know, my criteria to be a good piece of content. I understand what I should do next. Firstly, it's about value and relevance. If in the amount of time that it took you to consume that content, you got a tremendous amount of value, that's incredible, and that kind of overlaps with relevance. So we, we tell people that ultimately there's three types of value you can offer, right? You can either educate people, you can inform them, or you can entertain them. Now, entertaining is tricky because you've got to kind of take people out of their mental state and you know, take them to a place where they're amused or entertained or they're able to pass mm. time. Not everybody's got like the, the core DNA and talent for that. And also entertaining somebody then trying to get them to do, do business with you, that's a special chemistry in itself. Then there's inform. And with inform, if you're producing an original piece of information that nobody else has, like let's say you've got all of your clients in the interior design world, mm. if you summarize the last 10 clients you've worked with and the trends, that information is valuable because you're the source of it. But if you're giving people the weather, it's not very valuable because it's available in multiple places. And then you've got educate. And educate is the golden egg. If you're able to educate somebody, typically when you educate some, somebody in a valuable way that's relevant to them, it goes straight to their long-term memory. And the reason why people store it in their long-term memory is because they want to use it in the future and apply it. So if you're the kind of person who wants to educate people, you are then in turn going to get a higher level of reciprocation. Mm. The more you educate people, the more they reciprocate. We can call this like an ethical debt. You've created a debt in people's minds where they're like, oh, I'd love to, you know, I, I watch this girl's videos. I watch this guy's videos. It's helped me, you know, redo my plumbing in the house. It's helped me get yeah. my mindset right. What happens when you meet them? You cross the street, you shake their hand, and if they've got time, you'll buy them a coffee. Now, why is this relevant? It's because every single person on planet Earth is born with the same level of information, which is zero. Sure. You always get people generation in, generation out. You go all the way back to the days of like kings and emperors and even Abraham Lincoln. People say to me, I wish as a young woman or I wish as a young man somebody had taught me this. But that piece of information has been passed down for thousands and thousands of years. And it, so that's like vertically and horizontally it's been spread across more and more devices it used to be etchings on walls now it's coming up on your phone or on your watch so if the same piece of content is being passed down generation after generation and it's being spread wider and wider why do people still crave content it's because when you're born you've got none you've got no knowledge so curious people ambitious people seek out education and if you can put yourself in a position where you openly share what you know with others in a generous way, knowing that it's a net, net positive game for you, you win. Mm. Like I'm doing, like I said, six interviews this week. I'm going to give away everything. And I'm somebody who charges yeah. 
for problem solving, yet the arbitrage is I can solve 20 problems for you, meet 20 people outside and everybody's problem, even if it's quote unquote the same, will be nuanced different enough that the context, contextual advice you give them during a coaching call or a consultation is different enough and contextual enough that they will compensate you for that separately. It's really interesting to hear you talk about that because you know you talked there about education and also the, the debt piece and curiosity. And I've, I've heard you talk before about the thumb. You know, your, your thumb goes from the bottom to the top on your phone and you see people doing it all the time. And I've never thought about it before in terms of curiosity. People are looking for something, aren't they? What are they looking for? They're curious what the next thing's going to be. Mm. They're looking for either the things that resonate with me when someone says, have you seen this on social media? It's either educational, it's either newsworthy, like a big event, or uh, it's, it's entertaining. Those are the three things that I always come across. And it's really just to hear you talk about, talk about it in that way because I'm not, you know, curiosity is a really strong thing. And it sounds like, you know, that's all social media is, but it's a different way of thinking about it, right? Yeah, curiosity is the, the code base of what got us here. Yeah. Right? Like, how can I get the timing? Well, let's go back a few thousand years. How can I time my trip to the river to go and get yeah. fresh spring water when I know there will not be any bears there? Mm -hmm. And then that's when you communicate that to people, that's content. If somebody etches on a stone, the, the, a crescent moon and a human getting water from the river and then a sun and then a bear next to the water, even a caveman will look at that and be like, I think the best time to go and get water from the river is night because when the sun is there and the river is there, I see a bear's head. Yeah. So content is as old as time. That's why people think, oh, like I got asked a question recently, like, you know, why did you start a content business before Instagram was even, I don't even know, I think Creative Content Agency was established before Instagram was even created. We were, we were, when Creative Content Agency was, was created, it's really funny. Two things happened. Number one, Google, which we all adore now, was the laughing stock of the tech industry because they went and got YouTube. They acquired it. Mm. So that's the equivalent of like someone marrying a gold digger. Yeah. They're like, why do you want to take on this cost? You're going, to be, you're going to end up paying for this for the rest of your life. But YouTube had the foresight to be like, we like the idea of everybody having access to video, unlimited uploads, unlimited streams. Mm -hmm. Google already had Google Video. That wasn't doing too well. They bought YouTube and off it went. Mm. That happened. Next, we already started as a podcasting company. First couple of years, that was a joke because getting people to podcast in the mid-2000s was a ridiculous idea. But YouTube and Google happened. The great financial crisis happened in 2008. Large media companies and marketing companies and advertising agencies lost their contracts to medium-sized ones. Medium-sized companies lost their contracts to smaller-sized firms. And smaller-sized firms lost their contracts to independent consultants and freelancers like me. So at the bottom of the tree, when the final apples are all falling down, I'm there with the basket ready to do it. And what was good is that that basket was already a big basket because Vic and I had already spent time in London, New York, LA, Australia, India, producing content. Mm. We already had the cameras. We were already prepared for those kind of moments. So Again, I forgot the question. I'm really going to look back at this interview and be like, God damn, like, I forgot every question by the time I got to You're the end. You're getting too but, excited. I like yeah, it. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's, 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 it's so real. Exactly. Like it's, so, it's, it's so, you have to just do as much stuff as you can in your 20s and 30s. Mm. And not, you have to decide what's important to you. Like, is it money? Is it status? Is it health? Mm. I would definitely recommend, like, sort out the health part. That's mm. a bit that I left a bit too late. But, like, you can trade status for money. But... When people trade money for status, 
people see through it. For sure. Like, you see that old weird guy in the club? Yeah, I know what you mean. He's like 63 years old, popping bottles, and he's got a bunch of 23-year-old girls around him. You're like, that's money, and then the money's bought the status. But what's super interesting is I have a lot of status, like, in this city and other cities, and it also attracts a ton of opportunities because I've done stuff for people and invested in my personal brand. That's built those relationships. That's made my life 95% easier than most people's lives, as I mentioned. And then that's kind of like what's cleared a pathway for me. Authenticity, isn't it? Authenticity from, from the day one, I think, is, it really shines through. You can Actually, see... I don't know if I was authentic from the Really? Day one. Authentic yeah. yourself, though? To your no. own values? Okay. No. See, because I grew up poor, right? Sure. So you end up adapting a lot. And, and our story as Indians, East African Indians, is a story of adaptation. So we were colonized in India. Then we were moved to the colony of another race. We went to Africa. Then we were moved to the colony of the colonizers. We moved to the UK. So there has to be a lot of adaptability. Mm -hmm. You know, your grandfather's telling you stuff about his friends that were in the army when they were in India. Then your parents are telling you about like, I don't know, trading wool in Africa. And then you come to the UK and you've adapted. Now, the, the good thing about adaptation is it's a great skill to have. The bad thing is if you're constantly adapting, there's not a lot of stuff that can be, only first principle stuff can be passed down from generations. But it's not as if like your dad can give you the advice as to how to go get a job in a McDonald's, which is the reason why I got turned away from like three or four of them. And the reason why I say I wasn't authentic is because right now the way I speak to you, even though I keep, you know, even though in all of my interviews I've been crushing it, this one, I keep constantly like forgetting the question by the time I get to the end. This is authentic me. 05, 06 me would be like, can we start again? Mm. Or I'm not putting this interview out. 2023 onwards me, or I mean, the last few years, let's be honest, is like, F it, put it out. Mm. It's just the way I was feeling that day. Yeah. I had two coffees in the morning, which I never do. I'm overhyped. The downside is that the conversation's a bit Kanye and all over the place. The upside is you're gonna hear more and more authentic things and more and more truths. And when I, a perfect example of when I wasn't authentic is if you, if you literally take this video of me talking right now and side by side it for a major nationwide television campaign that I did in Canada when I was 25, 26, they're two different people. The other guy's also a little bit slimmer, which is great. <laughs> but the, actually, he might not have been. But the point being is when I'm on TV, I'm like, yeah, Sony Ericsson, Nokia, blah, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. Like I'm just doing all that, right? Whereas right now, I'm just keeping it 1,000. Like just keeping it real is what mm. I mean. So here's, and, and, and actually that becomes a point of differentiation. And I would encourage all people to do this, right? When you come to Dubai, you see a lot of like really glossy stuff, right? The beautiful people, the glitterati, right? Mm. The people that are at all the award shows, all the restaurant openings and all the biggest events, right? And I know a lot of them, yeah? The ones that are getting the reality TV gigs and all that kind of stuff. Some of them are cool as hell. And like th they, are, they are balanced and they are the same person that you see on TV as they are when you just see them catching them in the Mall of the Emirates. But a lot of them are messed up, right? And I've never really... Once I realized that I had talent when it came to content, because I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anybody in the world when it comes to content strategy, the greatest. Mm. And I have. But my authentic self is talking like this. And once I became comfortable with that, it was just so much better for me. And that only happened like super recently to this level where I'm at right now. When I started yeah. my podcast, I'll go a lot going on with Raj Kotecha. Because I'm talking to my boys 
Like I'm literally talking to Vic and Alex and my editorial team is all my actual real life gang mm. that suggest what stories we should talk about. I then got comfortable with my own voice. And I'm not really, and I never have been coming from Salford. When you come from Manchester, when you come from anywhere from outside London, you're fundamentally like a rough guy. Maybe not the neighborhood, maybe not where you're from, like, but if you come from a metropolitan place, sure. you, you're generally rough. And when I go to places here and I see like the makeup and the filters <laughs> and the kissing on both cheeks and darling, I've not seen you. It's been so long. Yeah. How have you been? You look fabulous. That, that's corny to me if it's, if it's not real. If it's real, it's all good. Yeah. But, you know, you look at, you just need to look in the top left corner of people's IG posts and the filters written there. Yeah, exactly. That's basically saying, this is not real. Yeah. Like, it's like when you see, like, you go, you see a packet of crisps and it says prawn cocktail flavored. There's no prawn, no, exactly. t- there's no prawn in those it's still, it's vegan, crisps. Isn't it? Yeah, it's just like, yo, th- when you see that face, you're like, that's not their real face. Mm. There's a label there that says they've used like starry eyes filter. That's why B Real has done so well, though, probably, isn't it? Because there's no filters. It's right. what's happening right now. Yeah. And it's very, it's, it's very crazy because it's hard to maintain. Like, I love the idea of being 57 and putting this video out and being like, yeah, when this dude was 42, he was the same. Mm. I don't know if I can necessarily say that, you know, in my 20s. But in my 20s, I was, I was out of my comfort zone. Even in my 30s, I was out of my, out of my comfort zone a lot. Mm. Like you look at like Vayner World 1 versus Vayner World 2. Vayner World 1, 2013, I kept it pretty hygienic and pretty straight, you mm. know. I got a t-shirt with a v-neck jumper and a blazer, and I'm trying to be like, you know, CEO of Creative Content Agency guy. By 2016, me and Gary are literally arguing and snapping on each other on stage in front of 500 people. So that, that journey is a very important <clears throat> journey. Like it's Absolutely. a mad important journey. And we touched on environment earlier and you said it doesn't massively, or it doesn't massively impact you because you're all over the place every day. But actually it sounds like, you know, the more you talk about it, you have got this group of people around you that are setting an environment for you to be more authentic, for, for you to be you, and obviously to, to increase your success or grow your performance. Yeah, which is the reason, which is, which is the superpower of family. 100%, absolutely. Because like I could be, I remember I, I, was, I was traveling and I got sick and I came back and I was going to go and there's just convenient timing where old me was like, oh, I want to go over here and do a deal. And Vic was like, don't be stupid, go home and go to bed. Mm. There literally is nobody with the permission to say to me, go home and go to bed or don't be stupid. But with, when it's family, it's right. You know what I mean? Like your nephew is going to tell you, you're looking a bit fat. You know what I mean? Like whatever That's it is. <laughs> so it's like, I think that helps with the authenticity. Mm. And also I get, I'm on the receiving end of inauthenticness as well, you know, yes, because I'm, yes. you look at my friends, your friends, you look at people watch that promo video and then people meet you and they're kind of like jocking you. Do you know what I mean? Like they're kind of like, they're trying to hype you up. Mm. And, um, and I see that as well, man, to be fair. But I would encourage people just to kind of, I would encourage people to just like switch on a camera mm. and, you know, some people journal. But maybe just try video journaling. Don't share the videos. Yeah, Upload it straight to Dropbox. Mm. But over time, look at yourself and be like, yeah, was I, who was I? If it was only me in the room speaking to my camera, why did I speak like that? Mm. They say, I think, did, was it Gary Vee? He was like, live your life as, as if someone is filming you all the time. Because why not? And that's almost what you're saying there, right? You can actually see yourself grow. You can learn so much from it. I've always done that. Shall I tell you why? Go on. I've never told this to anybody. Go on. Because where I come from, Manchester, though the way that the city's set up is that you know, like you look at like London, you look at like the hood, and you look at like the nice areas, they're not next to each other. 
Manchester, relatively speaking, is small. You can walk from the hood into, mm. into the city center, right? There's always been a lot of cameras around. And police will just come up and be like, oh, I just saw you were like over there, you know, where you, you put something in somebody's hand. We saw it on camera, da, da, da. So ever since I got into the city in 98, 97, 98, I'm always aware of the fact that I'm on camera. Mm. So like I even walk different when I go through the airport. Because I'm like, yeah. I don't want to, I don't want a red flag. Nobody, do you know what I mean? Because I know that, it, like, I treat the whole world when I'm walking around as if I'm in an airport mm. and someone's like zoomed for any reason under the sun, has zoomed in on me and be like, that guy looks a bit weird. He's got a big crack in his suitcase, or he's got a beard, or he's, he looks like he's got something like you know mm. tucked in his in it down the left side of his you know trousers or something. So it's like I do it like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's a good way to do it, though, because it's, you know... No, it's not. It messes with your head. Well, I know, but, you, you, you know, you've got, like you said, you've got a status, so everyone knows you, so you've got to almost be very aware of what you're doing, right, and how you hold yourself and what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Really interesting. I want to move on to some really, just some quick questions from, from you. My first one is, do you have a, a book recommendation for someone who's just maybe starting out or they're looking at their content strategy or just their business strategy? So, yeah, yeah, yes. Zero to one. Zero to one. Because they make the best point about differentiation. I mean, I don't read a lot of books. I'll be honest. Mm. The ones that I've read that have greatly impacted me, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yeah. I've got a, a couple of books at home, but I mostly got them because the author signed them and I just hold on to it. Nice. But the, yeah, I, I like the point in Zero to One where I think Peter Thiel, who's an early stage investor in Facebook, controversial character, mind you, mm. but he said, um, that, you know, if you open a restaurant, you're not competing with other restaurants. Even if it's a fusion restaurant and you've got two types of food in there, you're not competing with either of those genres of foods that are in dedicated restaurants nearby. You're competing against a Snickers bar. Okay. So, so the problem you're solving for a bunch of people is actually hunger. Mm. So if I'm hungry, it doesn't matter where the restaurant is or what it offers. Like if you've got like a, the first ever Italian Korean fusion restaurant where you've got like pasta with kimchi inside, you're not competing with Korean restaurants or Italian restaurants. For some people, you're competing with a Snickers bar, where someone's like, you know what, there's thunder outside, I'll just order in. So now, true. if that restaurant comes with status, and this is a world that you know really well, if it's optimized to be seen or see others, then yeah, that's slightly different. But I quite liked that, and I read it through once, and I really enjoyed it. It's a really nice point. I was actually talking to Tim yesterday, who owns F10, where we're filming right now. We're talking about the difference of, of going into a, a saturated market versus a non-saturated market. So if you talk about something like you're going to open a burger restaurant, some people will tell you don't do that because there is a million burger restaurants. But the good thing is there's also 10 million people who want a burger, right? And so, yeah, you have to differentiate yourself, but you've already got that market. You can already, you know, you can already change your strategy based on what's, what people are telling you because people are going to inevitably come in. It's a similar, similar thing there. I think that's, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the point on burger restaurants as well is that this is a city that does burgers, Obviously, Arabic food, pizzas. It just, this city is, especially in the last like four years, has basically nailed every single type yeah, of food. It's true. But if you want to continuously sell location, all these kind of things help, brand helps, but it's also like community. Do you know what I mean? Like, what, what is it about this burger and what it represents that's beyond just the ingredients? And, you know, you look at places like Salt in Kite Beach. Mm -hmm. You look at places like High Joint. These are places where there's a certain affinity. I mean, Mr. Beast Burger, you know Mr. Yeah, Beast? Yeah, sure. It's a great burger. It's a very good burger. But then there's also, his, I, I'm also like, if I'm between two burger options and they're within the ballpark of each other, I'll buy the Mr. Beast Burger because I've watched all of his interviews online. 
what he talks about, which is content, mm. has helped my content. As my content's got better, it's helped my client's content. So again, ethical debt, right? The, mm. the, that brand, it's weird to associate a burger if you long tail it through the thought process with education. Yeah. But that's, that's what's really, really miraculous, which is, for, for me, that's exciting because now that we've got, now that we've got like Creative Content Agency Pro, where you can fill in a quiz, a questionnaire, it will spit back like recommendations as to where we think you are in your content strategy. And then, you know, you, you jump on Zoom calls and if you want to buy programs, you can. If you want free materials, you can also get those. No worries at all. I know that the reason why a lot of people will try that questionnaire out is because they've seen my videos or they've seen me in real life or, you know, they've seen me at my friends, your friends and wanted to take a picture and I've done it and been a mm. good dude. I think a lot of people will, will try these new products and services just on the strength of that because Absolutely. of the brand I've built through content. I completely agree. And, and Mr. Beaks is a great example there, right? So he started on his own and he's been offered multiple billion now for his channels. And he said no, because he understands that it's now the content that he's built. You know, he, he's been monetized through it, but effectively it's just content. Has now built this brand that is so powerful that he can launch whatever he wants. Like you say, he's got the burgers, he's got uh, a non-profit, he's got so many different arms to it because his content is so powerful the whole way through, right? Mm. Really important. Mr. But Mr. Beast is a modern day Robin Williams. Yes. Because if you show a nine-year-old today Mrs. Doubtfire, that's still amazing. Mm. What Mr. Beast is not talking about is the fact that all of the videos create a payout. Mm. It doesn't have to be the latest video. He doesn't get paid on his last five videos. He gets paid on the gross amount of spins, plays that his channel mm. does. So he could stop making videos for three weeks. And just the way that the back catalog is played, the same way that a great song is, continues to be played on uh, Spotify, you're still going to make the residual income, right? Yeah. Like Hotel California is going to continue to make money forever. Or more okay every Christmas, right? Every Christmas, mm. right. Exactly. All I want for Christmas is you. So he can afford to do that. And he doesn't need to do the short-term game. Why? Because long after he dies, and, and, and I hope the guy lives a very long time, but long after he dies, there'll be a nine-year-old in 2088 who will watch Mr. Beast being like, I filled my house with a million ping pong yeah, balls. Yeah. And they'll be like, that's cool. Or cured a thousand people of, um, of being blind this week. You see that video? Unbelievable. I see in the video, I'll tell you what's really interesting as well. And this is the problem when you give, this is the problem with the technology layer that exists at the moment, is that it's given, it's highlighted people's, it's given everybody a chance to highlight their own errors and flaws. Mm -hmm. And the fact that people came out and said, Oh, he cured a thousand people of blindness for the YouTube plays. Mm. Like, all right. Let's let's not let's not deny the fact that he openly says, I make videos that people want to watch. Mm. So at some point in that algorithm, in that formula, in his mind, the, the feasibility behind the video, the end point, the ultimate honest goal was it has to be a the best video you can make, i.e. a video that people want to watch. If on the journey to that he cures a hundred people of blindness, maybe that's not the point that we should be criticizing. Yeah, exactly, I completely agree. Do you know what I mean? Completely. Um, I want to move on to the next sort of question I've got here, which is just how would you stay motivated? You're a busy guy, you've got a lot going on. How, what is your motivation? How would you stay on your mission? My motivation is firstly, where I come from. Like when you've got seven people in a two bedroom place, everyone's working the shop, there is stress. It wasn't like, my house wasn't like the Brady Bunch. Mm. It was real like stress in the house and then stress outside the house because you're one of like a, a handful of brown people 
in a working class Salford town in the 80s and 90s. So there's, there's the stress outside as well. And I think my motivation just comes from the fact that, firstly, I think everybody, when they start their journey, the motivation is to get away from that center point of trauma as possible. Mm-hmm. They want to get as far away as, as, as where they grew up and all that as possible. And I think secondly as well, and this is going to sound weird to a bunch of people, but I recognize that I've got like a lot of talent. I luckily didn't go from job to 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 job. Like I was like, yeah. in when this opportunity came up in 06 to register a company, I don't think I've been on PAYE, you know, pay as you were, yeah, yeah. salaried employee. I've not been on that since then. It's because it was the beginning of a time where I realized like, I'm pretty good at throwing parties pretty good at throwing events. I'm pretty good at looking at a problem in a business and solving it through the lens of content. So a lot of the motivation for me is that I also want to see how far I can go. There you go. Like, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, I, I, I know I'm one of the talented ones and I have a natural like ambition and motivation. So I want to just see between now and dying, how far can I push that? You know what I mean? 100% all the time. Yeah, I love that. Like 100% all the time is one of those things that I think is easier said than done. People say, I'm going to give 100%. They might do it for one thing. But if you can do it for a long period of time and see how far you get, that is, that's incredible motivation, isn't it? And you could think about that as your journey. I don't even, I don't even actively like think about it. I'm just like, this is, this is, the, this is the way that I am. I've been, I've been in places before where people have said to me, can we not talk about work? And I'm like, I might not be the right guy to invite yeah. because I love what I do and I love talking about work. And I will typically go, if I'm in a party, or a gathering, not a networking event, right? I'm talking about a barbecue. I will, mm. you will typically find within 20 minutes of me in that barbecue that I'll be, I'll create a cluster of people that have content problems. Oh, really? Okay. And I'll just do like a royal run. It's not work to you, is it? It's not work. It's what I love yeah, doing. You know, there's, it's almost like, it's almost like ethics, right? Like when somebody has a heart attack on a on an airplane, what do they say? Is there a doctor on, on the plane? And that doctor's got a responsibility, an ethical responsibility to step in and help that person. So if I see somebody who's like lacking in connections, lacking in motivation, lacking in friends, lacking in solutions for their content journey, Mm. I'm going to step in and do it. Sometimes to my own detriment. You know, I woke up the other day, I've got a million things going on this week. It's probably, I mean, on balance, it's probably about average, but it's still a busy ass week. Mm. I shouldn't be spending 12 and a half minutes in bed DMing an upcoming entrepreneur Mm. who's like two years into their journey. But I just, I, I do. Mm. And my, my motivation is just the fact that it, it's, it's, a, it's a spring well. Mm. It just comes out of me. Do you know what There's I mean? a good link to a doctor on a plane there because content, although it's obviously not life and death, it is, if you see an issue with someone's content, that is a, that is a fundamental crack in their business. Yeah. Right? And so for you to be able to, to, to put a plaster on it or completely solve it, mm. that's actually, that's really powerful. Mm. And you know, you also, here's another thing, mm. you don't know the butterfly effect of that. Mm-hmm. Like the other day I, I did a, I spoke about Beyonce. Uh, she performed at the opening oh, of the yeah, Royal sure. Atlantis, yeah, yeah. yeah? So I think everybody in the world has seen that clip, right? But importantly, a big US media outlet, business outlet called Annual Leisure posted it. And then it got an additional 200,000 views plus. Off the back of that, some folks that were here in Dubai from Toronto said, hey, we'd love to meet and have you on our podcast. Great. Did the podcast yesterday. Off the back of the podcast, we went for dinner. Off the back of dinner, we've talked about an arrangement that would allow us to potentially do some business in Canada. I love Canada. I spent a year and a half there. So if you asked me which would be the five markets in the world that I would love to have a footprint for what we do, Toronto is one of them. There's no way that randomly in my podcast, which is just another talking point on the docket of things that we're meant to talk about, 
I thought that I would go in on the Beyonce point the way that I did and say what I said, then take that out as a clip, because I'm always looking for clips. Sure. Really feel passionate about that. Put it online. It then gets reposted. Get seen by some people from North America in Dubai who happen to be podcasters who book a studio, yeah. do the interview. Like you, do, you just don't know which way it's going to go, which is the reason why you got to do as much as possible. Like I, I look at podcasting as like meal prep. Mm. So we do a podcast now, and let's say it lasts an hour. That's like you doing your big meal prep. That's everything that goes in the oven, the vegetables, the chicken, everything. You then take it out, and what do you do? You break it up into For smaller sure. boxes, exactly. right? And you eat them during the week. That's what I do with the podcast. On a Sunday, I'll sit down with the guys and literally go over what's happened to us that week, all the cool stuff that we've done. Then during the week, I'll go back to that long-form video, drop two or three micros, and then just see where it goes. Yeah, exactly. It's a great way of doing it. The next sort of quick one I want to do before we move on is, do you have a quote that inspires you? A quote that you've come back to now and again? There's so many, man, to be mm. honest. There's so many. I would say the, the one that I probably lean on the most is he who owns the customer is king. Sure. So many years ago, I tried to do a distribution deal with a content creator. Uh, this was in the days of DVD. So we're talking about 06, 07. And long story short, as part of the deal, we'd have had to have promoted the download SMS number. You know, it's just like text whatever to yeah. 80033. We'd had to have promoted them on this studio's DVDs. Mm -hmm. And they wanted more money to be the promoter of the content. And I said, well, you know what? You've got like the wireless networks that are distributing your content. They're doing the billing. You've got the tech companies that are storing the content. Your cut is going to be, you know, 15% or whatever it's meant to be. He goes, yeah. He goes, but none of those things matter unless my customer who wants to buy my content in a different way knows that it exists. And then that's the reason why he didn't do the deal. And as we walked out, I was like, all right, okay, well, fair enough. I guess we're not going to do it then. But, you know, thanks for, like, hearing me out. And he goes, I'll tell you why, man. Remember, he put his arm over my shoulder. He was like, I'll tell you one thing, right? He goes, he who owns the customer is king. Mm, so you're, asking me to, you're asking me to sell to my own customers and my own content back to my own customers with you guys being the middle, middle tech company, but you want the lion's share. And when I remember once he said that to me, it was like, that really changed everything for me, man. Because also as well, like now when I, I'm going into a, a meeting this afternoon about an event, and I know what venues are like. They're going to be like, well, we'll pay you this much and we'll do this. And I'd be like, guys, firstly, I have a responsibility to my friends, your friends. I have to bring them to the best venues, give them, get them the best event, the best deals, the best aesthetic, indoor, outdoor, lighting, music, you name it, right? Happy hour. But also... To, to a certain extent, I own that community. Like, own it in the sense that I'm responsible for it. Not that I own them mm. as individuals, but I own that that data, and I have to protect it and use it the right way. So when people say to me, "Yeah, but we could do this, we could do that," you know, we could pay a PR company. I'm like, "Yeah, great. Tell me on a cost-adjusted basis when you pay a company twenty-five thousand dirhams, a PR company, to fill your venue." And then for eight weeks, nothing happens. Then you fire that PR company. And during those eight weeks, you're seeing those PR executives, those beautiful young men and women at beach clubs on a Sunday yeah. and your venue, other people's beach clubs on a Sunday and your venue still empty on a Wednesday and you're paying these guys a retainer. Tell me on a, if you adjust the costs and you're basically just giving away 200 free drinks 
to the My Friends Your Friends community and your place is physically full with people you can like touch and feel, which is the better value for money? Yeah. Plus, if you could do it yourself, you would. I wouldn't even be here. Yeah, exactly. So he who owns the customer is, is very, very important because I have a huge responsibility for my, for my community and, and I'm king in those meetings. Yeah, yeah. And I never lose sight of that. And if, if certain people push you a certain way, I'll even explicitly remind them, like, please don't forget who has else. the cards here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you yeah, go somewhere yeah. else, take all the people somewhere else. That's a really great quote. I remember, remember that one. Um, one of the last ones I have for you, if, if you had a full free day, what would you do? I think I can probably guess what you're going to say. So, but go ahead. If you had a full free day, few and far between, aren't they? But what would you do? I had a full free day. I do, I do sometimes, sometimes when I'm exhausted, I do end up taking a full Saturday off. And there'll still be like work conversations and texts in the day, but... Putting mm. content in there as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe edit some content, but... My circumstances are changing now, like mm. in my personal life. So I would probably like go for coffee or something. Like oh, go for chill lunch one. or just chill. Yeah, know? exactly. Just recharge the batteries. Yeah, chill. But, but again, only with one of six people. Yeah. Do you know what I mean, it wouldn't be like, oh, I want to go skydiving. I haven't got time for that stuff you know what I mean like yeah I'll probably just be just just chill probably actually it would, be, it would be nice and we all probably feel this way living living this expat lifestyle is I'd probably go hang out with my parents nice yeah yeah, yeah that's yeah. probably what I do now they live in they live in the UK mm. but there's certain there's certain experiences that you can only kind of have with them so you know I would be like yeah I'd probably probably just do that like eat yeah. my mom's food like chill out chat a bunch of Bumbaclot, you know what Perfect. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's probably what I would probably just do, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So what projects are you coming up next? What's your next couple of months look like? Next couple of projects? Okay, good. Mm. So with that one, um, I would say that the most interesting thing for us is that we have, over the course of the last two, three years, changed our business so that it can help more people. So typically, we're a very high-ticket business. We charge a lot of money to train somebody one-on-one. -on -one. And then during the pandemic, we started teaching people over Zoom. So we took it from what we call 3D consulting, which is like this. We're mm. talking together. We go back and forth as much as you want. The 2.5D, which is over Zoom, where right. we're still interacting, but we're not in the same room. Right down to what we call now 2D consulting, which is that we'll just give you all the online learning materials. You'll pay a fraction of the price to learn from us. And we will obviously do a lot of the coaching and stuff online. So that's what's next for us. We worked with um, Score App, Daniel Priestley, nice. which is a phenomenal piece of technology. I'd encourage everybody to go check it out where it's taken us about three months. I mean, you can, they, they talk about on the website, like you could be up and running in 30 minutes, not in our case, because we really had to like do a lot of user testing. Yeah. But we, we spent the last three months building this Score App where you can kind of tell us how you consume content today, because that dictates how you create it and then how you create content as well. Mm. We take both of those factors, everything is weight adjusted, based on our insights, making thousands of videos and podcasts. That will then spit out if you're at an intermediary level or a beginner level or an advanced level. Off the back of that, we now know where you are in your content journey. We as an agency will come and meet you there. If you're at an advanced stage, we're not gonna force you to consume learning materials that are way too early stage for you. If you're at a beginner stage, we're not going to present the kind of learning materials or language that's going to make you actually further retract away from taking your steps mm -hmm. on your content journey. So that's where we are next. So we work with, you know, Daniel Priestley's a friend. So we've mm -hmm. got a bunch of like great best practice from him. 
And then we also work with a guy called Jacques Hopkins, who is, he's done way over 200 podcasts on education, online course technology, and all the philosophy and everything that runs behind that. So we were very fortunate to get into one of his educational programs, a very small cohort of five people or six people, I think, and learn from him. You know, we signed up for like, I think it was three months. I think I was able to attend maybe 11 of them. And I would say nine of them blew my head off. Amazing. So I would say that the inputs that we have, like, you know, working with Daniel Priestley's technology, working with Jack Hopkins, plus the fact that we've had as an agency experience in producing or co-producing or coordinating shoots with, or even collaborations with like, you know, celebrities like the Wu-Tang Clan or yeah. Russell Peters or Tony Robbins or Stephen Bartlett or, 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 or you put all these things into an orb and then you as somebody who's on their content journey, you go into that orb and say, this is where I am. And then it meets you where you are. Mm. That's a very, very interesting opportunity. And for us as well, I think it's going to allow us to make a ton of impact because the core four P's of content, the core materials, because it's eventually going to become a book, we're going to give that away now in every single version that we can. Wow. So we will literally upload the four P's of content onto a dedicated Spotify channel, onto a dedicated Instagram account, onto YouTube, a dedicated YouTube video. So we are demonstrating that literally this, these first principles, consume them wherever you want to consume them. And then if you need some tailored advice, you can get a whole bunch of tailoring kind of quote unquote for free in the sense that we can send you materials and you action them yourselves. And then depending on how much time you have and what resources are available to you, you can start engaging with us, whether it be through Zoom or in person or <clears throat> talks, keynotes and things of that nature. It's very, 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 very exciting. And our goal, effectively, our goal has been this case because we've obviously helped more people for free than we have paid in terms of like less fortunate people. We want to keep that philosophy in the business so that for every single one that we sell, obviously, let's keep it real. There's a profit margin attached mm. of that profit margin. We want to be able to fund programs for less fortunate people. That's amazing. So whether it be folks in emerging markets or like developing economies or whether it just be people that are like economically restricted, like I was when I was growing up and being like, yo, man, like if you want to go into marketing, let me just show you the four P's, because if you know it at 19, <clears throat> the compound effect of you using that model through a 25-year career like me, you're going to be so much further than I am by the time you're my age. So, so that's really, really important to us. And the first people to engage in it, just where these two things collide, is that at the last couple of My Friends, Your Friends, when people have been signing up to attend the event, we had a tick box that said, hey, listen, you know, we teach content strategy. If you'd like to get on one of these programs sure. for free, just tick this box and we'll send you a copy of it. Little did we know that 80% of people that signed up for My Friends, Your Friends wanted the free content strategy program. So we had to go back to the drawing board and be like, this is scalable. Like, I don't mind if like 30 or 40 people want it, but let's say all 400 people say, I want it. Things like Zoom calls and all that, they all have to be adjusted metrically so that we can serve all these people. So we kind of went back to like, not square one, but like square two, three. We re-engineered the product from the ground up and now everybody's going to be able to participate. So our initial group will be all of the people that said they wanted it in My Friends, Your Friends, because we're true to our word and we're going to give them that mm. program. And then after that, we'll, we'll make it open for other people to apply. And if they want to purchase, they can purchase. If it's relevant, they need a purchase program. Amazing. It sounds like you've got a busy few months ahead of you. Really busy. A busy forever in front a of busy you. busy forever. There you go. You're on your 100% mission. Yeah. So busy forever, yeah. Exactly. How can people find you, Raj? How can they find you online? Uh, creativecontentagency.com is mm -hmm. the website. Yep. 
My name is spelled R-A-J-K-O-T-E-C-H-A. So I'm at Rajkatecha on Instagram. I respond to all DMs. And that would probably be the, the absolute best way to get hold of me. Raj at creativecontentagency.com if you want to email me. I do need to improve on email a little <laughs> bit, but, but that's my email address. So I'm super easy to get hold of, man. Perfect. It's been amazing to have you on. Thank you so much for spending some time with us. And uh, all the best for 2023. Thanks for the interview. I appreciate it. Thank you, mate.